All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. I'm glad that you're here. This is going to be different. I haven't preached with a handheld for a while, so uh, forgive me if I go in and out. And the guys in the sound booth will be yelling at me. This is an amazing place to be on a Sunday. Scott talked about uh, office space. How many office space fans do we have? Anybody? People that have like, I have no idea what that is. Okay. What if I said, mm, I'm going to need you to come in on Sundays from now on. <laughs> By the way, I am saying that. I'm going to need you to be here on Sundays from now on. Um, and there's just so much amazing stuff going on. I, I the, the, Plants are greening up. The lawn's turning green. We're going to turn the waterfall on next week. Um, just so many, so many things. Anybody but me just feel when it's springtime, you just feel lighter and just better in general. Man, I don't realize how much I miss it during the, during the winter until this happens. But um, there is there's a message that we have to get to. And the message is kind of appropriate with what I just talked about because it's all about patience and an eternal perspective. And it's really, really easy to lose patience, isn't it? Anybody here? Anybody here have an abundance of patience and they have no problem with that at all, ever? If you have kids, this doesn't apply to you because I know what the answer is. And I don't want to make you lie in church. But in the book of James, you know, James is... James is about being a doer, being active, and, and living out your faith, and a faith that people can see. And if you look at the way that the world is acting right now, no patience, no tolerance, no, no ability to even have a conversation, much less take that to the next level and love someone. Maybe especially love someone that doesn't think or act or talk or look exactly like you. This is one of the things that has so quickly gone away from our society, the ability to actually have a civil conversation, and maybe even a friendship with someone who doesn't believe exactly like you. I'm not talking about believing in the Lord. I'm talking about social things, cultural things. The ability to have those conversations has completely gone away. And that leads to what we're talking about here in patience. Because patience, knowing that the Lord is sovereign, knowing that the Lord is going to do what the Lord is going to do, we look around at the world and we become increasingly frustrated. I say we, I, I just point at myself. Increasingly frustrated, increasingly like, somebody's got to do something about this chaos that's happening in the world right now. Every single morning I look at the news or I read it or, or when, and, and I just shake my head and going, the things that are happening right now in this world in general, our culture specifically, are things that two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, I would have gone, what are you smoking? Because there's no way those crazy things are going to be happening. But here we are. And so then I get frustrated and try and say, like, what, what can I do to push my own, my solution to these problems? As if I could possibly have a solution to these problems. As if any of us could. And that goes back to waiting on the Lord and an eternal perspective that can allow us to have peace and be a good witness for what Jesus has done in your life by being different than the world. So that's what we're talking about today. 
If you remember from last week, we were in James, we're in chapter 5, we're getting close to the end, it's roaring up here. We were in verses 1 through 6, and we saw that the love of money, combined with a lack of eternal perspective, was causing this group of people, in this case he was addressing those who were the the more well-off, to exploit the less fortunate for financial gain. They had no long-term perspective. Their thought was, I need to get all that I can right now. And it was causing them to not act in a godly manner at all. It was all about the dangers of living a life of self-indulgence. Self-indulgence at the expense of compassion and love for those people around you. So, this week... James builds on that message, and we know that he's building on it because of the very first word in the next. If you're in there now, look at James, James uh, 5, 7 through 11. So if you remember from last week, the last verse of last week was James 5, 6. He says, you have condemned and put to death the righteous person. He offers you no resistance. So remember, he's talking about those who are well off. And they have condemned and put to death those who are offering you no resistance. He's calling them actually the righteous person. They're basically what they're doing. They've been persecuted. They've been driven out of their homes. They've lost their business. But what they're doing, what they've decided to do is kind of pay their misery forward. I've been done to. So now that I'm in a place of a little bit of power and a little bit of authority, I'm going to do to those underneath me. And before you start thinking that this is a 2,000-year-old problem and it only happened then, first of all, it goes back thousands of years before that, what about your office? What about the place you work? Anybody know somebody, maybe it's you, no looking around, who has reached a place of some authority, some power, some prominence in whatever your circle is, and maybe there's that temptation, all you peons down there, That used to give me a hard time, now I'm your boss. Let's see how that works. That's a human thing. I don't see anybody nodding. I know it doesn't apply to any of you. But that can be a temptation, right? It can be. Now that I'm here and I have just a little, I'm going to lord it over you. So that's what was happening. So James now picks up right at the end of that. He's addressing those, now he switches. He's talking now to those people who are the lower on the economic and social ladder. He's chastising those who had and were being the doers, doing to the others. Now he's talking to the done to, giving them a little encouragement, a little exhortation, the righteous person from the last verse. So he starts out, I'm going to read it for you, James 5. 7 to 11, I'll read the whole thing and then we'll go in just like we always do. Therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. 
As an example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who have endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. That's the whole section right here in context. Is there any doubt that James is emphasizing an eternal perspective? James is telling him it's not about what's happening today. This is an eternal perspective. So here's a question for you all. We don't have to throw out answers, but think about this for a minute. Is it easier to be patient and have a long-term perspective if you know what the payoff is at the end? I would say probably yes, right? We might all, we're, human nature is this. If you're out somewhere and you see a line of people, what's your first thought? I should be in that line. What am I missing? I, I need to be in that line. So we'll get in that line. But you might, even without knowing what's the, what the payoff is, you might be in that line for a little while, but you're not going to have that much patience. Eventually, you're like, why are we here? Why, why am I in line? And then you'll start weighing whether it's worth it and all these things. But if you knew what was in store, whether it's a, a movie premiere, a concert, whatever it is, it's easier to have that patience and that perspective if you know what's happening at the end, right? If all that you think from an eternal perspective is in store for you is just a series of days, just getting through one day after another until finally that sweet release of death where it's all over and I don't have to deal with this anymore. If that's all you think is in store for you, then yeah, you're going to do everything that you can to get as much as you can, comfort and financial security and all of those things. You're going you're gonna to strive to get as much of that as you can because your time is short. And eventually you'll hit that big grand finish line and it's over. But oftentimes when that happens, we do that at the expense of others. But now if you know what the payoff is going to be, if you know what's coming, like from an eternal perspective, it should be easier to not live our lives that way. It should be. If you know what's coming, like maybe, for instance, all the promises in the Bible, if you know what's coming, it should be easier to have patience, to have that perspective, to treat others that way. Think about the Israelites during the Exodus. They had all kinds of promises. They knew what they were doing. I'm going to use that as an example here. Think about this. The Israelites, during the exodus from Egypt, they had been taken into slavery. They had been mistreated. And they had been fervently, passionately praying for deliverance from God. Take us out of this slavery Remove us. Take us to a better place. They have been praying for that, praying fervently, doing all these things. And what did God do? He answered their prayers. They were delivered from Egypt. Miraculous, right? But only a month and a half later. That's all it took them. A month and a half later, after miraculously being delivered, this happens. This is the words of Moses right here. Exodus 16.3. 
I'm sorry, it's the other way around. They're talking to Moses. It's the sons of Israel. They're talking to Moses. Exodus 16.3, the sons of Israel said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat, when we ate bread until we were full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this entire assembly with hunger. They'd been just delivered from... This was after seeing all of the plagues, seeing the, the angel of death pass over their homes, seeing all these things happen, seeing Pharaoh release them, and then chase them through the Red Sea, which miraculously parted so they could get through, and then closed up on their pursuers. They had just seen all of that. And here they're going, it'd be better if we were still in slavery because at least then we could eat. You're, you brought us out here so you could kill us. Oh my gosh. This was also after Moses told them, this is what the Lord has promised us. This is Exodus 3.8. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians, to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Only a month and a half later, they're already grumbling. Their deliverance wasn't because of anything they did. It wasn't because they were especially, um, especially pious or especially deserving. Their deliverance was because of a promise that God made to Abraham centuries before that. They had nothing to do with it. This wasn't a result of their work. Look at all the work we put in, all of our cunning plans and all of the strategy that we put together. And here we are. This was strictly because God said, I made a promise to Abraham. I've heard your prayers, and I'm going to bless you. This is a result of all that. They wouldn't even have laws to obey, by the way, until Mount Sinai happened a year and a half later, or a year later, depending on your timelines, when Moses came down and gave them all the laws. They didn't even have any of that at this point. They were just doing the best they can to get through their days. They didn't work for it. It was a pure gift from God, and they still found reason to grumble. When is this going to happen? Do you think at that point, this has been a month and a half, right, since slavery. If they knew it was going to be a 40-year exodus, do you think that conversation would be a bit different? Talk about grumbling, they would have turned around probably and gone back right into slavery. They didn't would have that kind of patience. But they did know what the payoff was going to be. They still didn't have patience for it. But if you truly realize that every good thing you have, every good gift, I'm talking about your car, I'm talking about your house, your job, your relationships, your spouse, your friends, the air in your lungs the ability to stand up and come into church, gather in a body like this, your salvation from Jesus Christ. If you knew that all of those things is because you have a loving God who gave them to you. It should be easier to be patient, shouldn't it? But it's not. Why isn't that? Why isn't it easy knowing all these things? We have so much more benefit of hindsight and scripture and teaching and all these things that we know now, being enlightened in visuals like we are. 
that they didn't necessarily have back then. Why isn't it easy then? It's because there's always someone trying to convince you otherwise. There's always someone trying to convince you that the promises of God are not for you. Maybe you believe in them, but what if we've misinterpreted some things and it doesn't happen like that? Impatience at its core is dissatisfaction with your current situation. And your current situation could be partially as a result of our bad choices. But remember, every good thing about your current situation is because God wanted you to have it. And if we're dissatisfied with where he has us right now, at its core, that's dissatisfaction with God. And maybe a complete denial or unbelief in his goodness. And when that happens, that dissatisfaction, and we try and push things along at our timetable, try and strive and grab for those things that maybe, maybe God's got them on a high shelf out of our reach for a reason, that often comes at the expense of being kind to others, putting others before yourself, being a good witness for Jesus. Now, patience, on the other hand, is submitting all of your plans to God because you know that his timing is best. A lot of us give lip service to that patience without really living it out. C.S. Lewis has this quote. I want to read it to you. It's a longer quote, but I want to read this part to you. People are merely amusing themselves by asking for the patience which a famine or persecution would call for if in the meantime the weather and every other inconvenience sets them grumbling. How, how many of us in our current situation could live through a 40-year exodus without falling right in to where the Israelites are, grumbling, complaining. One of, my, one of the most amusing scriptures, Gabe reminds me of it all the time, is where Moses is talking back to God because the people have been complaining. And Moses says, why do I have to put up with these people? Did I give birth to them? Why are they my responsibility? Even Moses Lost is cool every now and then. But here's another interesting thing about patience. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit, by the way, that the Israelites did not have. But we do. We have an advantage, many advantages, that they didn't. And yet still, the way that we think, the way that we act, is very much in line with the way we, that they did. So we've got a lot that we can learn. Remember this, Paul said this about the fruits of the Spirit, for those of you who maybe need a little refresher. Galatians 5, 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay, they're called fruits for a reason. Anybody know why they call them fruits of the Spirit? There's a couple main reasons. I mean, there's lots of reasons. But a couple main ones that come to mind is, one, they're visible evidence of the Spirit at work in you. 
visible evidence. People can see the fruit of these things happening in your life. The other reason they call them fruit is because they don't start out fully ripe. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you get them. But we need to practice them. They need to grow. They need to be nurtured in you. They don't just start right out. So this is what James is talking about here. We go back into the individual scriptures, and let's look a little bit closer. James 5, 7. Therefore, there's that first word, therefore. Knowing everything that I've taught you leading up to now, therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. He's giving this example that they would have known. There's no mistake. They would have understood this little metaphor that he's given here. That word patient, by the way, we hear patience, perseverance, talked about all through Scripture, but James himself uses back and forth. Now, this patience is different. Here's the Greek, makrothemeo, is that word patience here. And the definition is, is being long-tempered, being slow to become impatient, being slow to become angry because of a promised result. Now, it's different than the patience that James used all the way back in chapter 1, a different kind of patience, same word in our language, but in James 1.3 where he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, some of them say patience. That's a different word. It's hupomene, which means a God-empowered steadfastness. It's not so much of a passive waiting, like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit and wait until this thing happens, which is what we do with crops. There's activity, there's things you do, but mostly you're just waiting for the rain, you're waiting for things to happen. The other is an active, an active endurance. This is different though, this kind of patience is more like patience with one another. Like I know, I know this is hard. I know we're all growing tired of waiting. I know that this is a long line. I know that whatever the situation is, it's with one another. Paul kind of describes it, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. He's talking about how to have a good witness. Churchy language. Catch myself using churchy language. Your witness. Your witness is when people look at you and they say, what's different about you? Why aren't you reacting to all these things around the world the way I am or the way I would expect everyone else to? It's the visible evidence people can see and go, there's something different. You may not even know what it is. And then you can say, it's Christ in me. It's what Christ has done in me that enables me to act this way. That's your witness. So back to verse 7. James is using this metaphor that everyone should understand. Israel had then, still has, two rainy seasons. So I've got the early rains, the late rains. The early rains ran from October to November, and they prepare the ground. They soften the ground. They prepare it for planting. Get a nice, soft, moist soil that you can plant in. That's the early rains. And then... Then there's a lot of waiting. 
There's a lot of patience until the late rains, March and April. March and April, the late rains, they, they prepare the rain to the moisture to finish off that harvest, to ripen everything up. Everything becomes ripe. The ground is soft and you can harvest all of these things. That's the late rains. And this cycle, mankind now has all kinds of technology. If you go to Israel, they have greenhouses and plantations everywhere. It's one of the greenest countries that you'll ever see. But you can't rush that cycle. You try and rush it on your own, and your crops will fail. And then famine results. His audience knew that. James, the people he's writing to, they knew this. The Hebrew people have, first centuries, had just so many harvests. Three of their biggest harvests, or festivals, totally surround the harvest, the planting, the harvest, all these things. And some of them have been changed a little bit and kind of morphed over the years. But there's Pesach, or Pesach, which is their spring harvest. Now it's kind of added on to Passover, but that was the, that was the, the, the planting festival, praying for a big harvest. And then there's Shavat, which is the summer festival, and then Sukkot, which is the autumn, the harvest festival. It's often also known as what? Anybody know? Booths or tabernacles. Booths or tabernacles. Same thing. But so they had harvest after, or festival after festival after festival that all celebrate the harvest. And it was all about God's goodness. We wouldn't have any of this if God didn't bring the rains. We wouldn't have any of this if he didn't bring the sun. We wouldn't have any of this. So we're praying to God that he brings those things. Then we're thanking God that he has brought them. And then we're praising God for a plentiful harvest. That was their life cycle. And the cycle couldn't be rushed. And James is saying, if the farmers understand that, you know that. If the farmers understand that in waiting for God's provision, then you should be able to be faithful too. And you should be able to be patient too. That's exactly what he's telling him. James 5.8 then. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Now he's not talking about harvests anymore. He's talking about the return of Christ. The coming of the Lord is near. That word strengthen there, by the way, is an active action. Strengthen. It's in the Greek, it's sterizo. And it means to establish, to buttress, or to support. And what that means, it's not accidental. He's saying, your patience doesn't just happen. You need to work on that. Like a fruit of the Spirit. You need to understand that these things will happen in God's time. Remind yourself of that. Encourage one another about that. When you get impatient, things seem to be taking forever. That's what this body is for. We encourage one another. Look, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. We understand that God is faithful. It's going to happen in His timing. Be patient. That's exactly what he's trying to teach us here. Now remember, he's talking to, in this section, he's talking to those who have been done to, the, the less than, the lower down on the totem pole, the ones who have, uh, who have suffered at the hands of the, of the higher-ups. And he tells them specifically, James 5.9, Do not complain, brothers and sisters, against one another. 
so that you may not be judged. He's not saying amongst yourselves. He's saying don't complain against them so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. So wait, he's telling the persecuted not to complain against the persecutors? That doesn't even make sense. Not in our culture. What's happening to them isn't fair. Shouldn't they at least be allowed to grumble a little bit about the things that those people are doing to them? That's not what James is saying. Paul would later put it like this. Philippians 2, 14, 15. Do all things without complaining or arguments. Let me stop there. All things. What does that mean in the Greek? Anybody know? Maybe the Hebrew translation? All things. Not just the things you like, not just the things you don't like, not the things that make sense to you or the things that don't make sense to you. All things. Do all things without complaining or arguments so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. That's what witness looks like. That's what a witness is. But remember now, this audience, I'm sorry, I have to grab, I don't know why. I think it's springtime blooming. Anybody else? I love it, and yet, at the same time. All right, remember, though, we're talking about New Testament Scripture. I'm reading Philippians, things like that. But this audience, the people that James is talking to, haven't heard any of that yet. While James is writing this letter, Paul is probably off on all of his journeys now, where he's actually gaining all of this insight that he's writing his letters to. So they didn't know any of that stuff. But... James, knowing this, uses scripture that they would have known. Remember, these, these, guys, these guys were born and raised culturally. They were Jews who had professed now in Christ, but they knew scripture back and forth. And when I say scripture, Old Testament is what we call it. Okay, But for them, that's all they had. So James pulls out these Scriptures that they would have understand. James 5.10, As an example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I'm going to read you a few. There's Micah 7.18. Who is a God like you, who pardons wrongdoings and passes over a rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? Does he not, or he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy? Lamentations 32 or 3, 22 to 23. This is Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, if anybody wondered about that. The Lord's act of mercy indeed does not end, for his compassions do not fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Psalm 86, 15. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abundant in mercy and truth. And then the big dog of all the prophets. Isaiah, right? Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him. These are all scriptures they, they would have known. They know about the Lord's compassion, about his mercy. You read that scripture from Isaiah, and I picture the Lord just looking down at us going, going, I know 
that you're going to make a mistake, but I'm ready. Because the minute you do, I just want to pour out my grace and my mercy on you. He's just waiting. Not that he wants us to mess up, but he knows we're going to. And he wants to be there. Anybody have a little child that they taught to ride a bike? You let him go at some point, and you're like, I know you're going to crash, and I know it's going to hurt, but I also get to be there and pick you up. That's such a tiny little snapshot of how God feels about his children. But if you're a parent, you understand that feeling. You don't want them to get hurt, but it's also awesome when you're there to pick them up and comfort them. Now, those are all scriptures they would have known. James now reminds them of the oldest story of all. How many were with us through the whole series of Job that we did? Okay. I'm not going into the whole series of Job. You can stay. James 5.11, we count those blessed who have endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Quick catch up for those of you who weren't part of that or don't know much about the book of Job. Job had, through no fault of his own, had lost his family, had lost his business, his home, his wealth, his dignity, his health, his friends, and maybe most importantly, all ability to sense the presence of God in his life. Probably the most precious thing that he had. He had lost all of those things, and worse, he had no idea why. He wavered. He's human, but he didn't give in. Job 42, 2-6, explains how Job felt about this. Job is saying this. This is, this is after. He's already gone through all this. In fact, he's still in the midst of suffering. And he says, I know that you can do all things and that no plan is impossible for you. Who is this that conceals advice without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I do not know. He's admitting, I've said things that I have no basis to know. Only God can know. Please listen, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I've heard of you. I've heard about you. But now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract and I repent, sitting on dust and ashes. This is in the midst of all this. He's saying, God, I, now, I get it. The light bulb has gone off. All of my complaints, who am I to complain? I can't possibly understand what is happening here. But I trust you. The result of his steadfastness, again, for those of you who weren't part of it, one of the very last verses in the whole book of Job, Job 42.10, the Lord also restored the fortunes of Job which he prayed when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased double all that Job had. Okay, it goes a little bit more into depth into increasing double, but the Lord blessed him. because He was human. He wavered. He had some struggles, but he didn't fail. This is what James is reminding them of. Look, the troubles you're going through now, I know that they have done to you. Maybe they've taken your land. Maybe they've withheld pay from you. Maybe they have treated you unfairly. Maybe there's been a lot that has happened to you lately that's unfair. But look what happened to Job. Could any of what you've gone through touch what Job went through? 
And look how the Lord restored Job. Not only restored him, blessed him double for his steadfastness. So, here's the conclusion. I'm a minute 50 over. Here it's coming. Okay, if you've been, if you've been nodding off, wake up, because here it is. What are we supposed to take away from this section of Scripture? I know a lot of you have taken notes. Maybe you've already got some ideas. Here's four that I came up with. Number one, be patient and kind when you don't understand why things happen to you. Number two, be at peace, be humble, and glorify God when your situation is out of your control. Number three, be kind and compassionate to others, especially those who oppress you. That one's hard. I'm going to repeat that so you can write that down. Be kind and compassionate to others, especially those who oppress you. Love everyone, regardless of how difficult they might make it, because Christ commanded it. Those are my four takeaways. So how do we do that when we're constantly under attack? How do we do that when things are constantly happening to us and around us? And maybe worse yet, to, to those that we love who are around us. We can do that by understanding who you are made to be. Who God has called you to be. And I'll give you a hint. It's not something that the world would consider powerful or admirable. But for those who know Christ, you know differently. Those things that the world does not see as powerful or admirable are exalted in the kingdom of God. So as usual, the Apostle Paul puts it far better than I could ever think of, and I'm going to give him the last word. I'm going to read one scripture here. This is from Colossians, Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Colossians 3, 12 to 17. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, that's who Paul says you are. That's who God says you are. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone... Just as the Lord forgave you, so you must do also. In addition to all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ, to which you were indeed called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In the last verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so thankful that you see through everything that You see through everything that I do to the person that you have called me to be. And you do everything you can through your grace, through your mercy, to pull that calling out of me. So Father, I thank you for your infinite patience with me, that you never give up, that you know what the payoff is, and that payoff is that we get to spend time with you
And so you will stop at nothing to help us grow into everything you have called us to be. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for your word. I pray that this word penetrates hearts where needed, where it encourages where needed, where it convicts where needed. Father, I just know, I know that your word will have all of the power and all of the authority that you intended to have. So Lord, I open myself up to you to work those things in me. I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for this day, for every good gift you have given me. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, guys, we're gonna go into communion right now. I think, I don't think I see any new faces, but if it's been a while, what we do is up front we have communion. We'll have it over here and over here. And you just come to the center aisles and come down this way. Up front here we'll serve wine and bread and gluten-free crackers. And what you do is just dip the bread or the cracker in the wine and take it that way. In the back, by where Scott is, we have the self-serve communion. If you would like, there's just juice back there. If you would like that. If you would like prayer. We have a prayer team in the back of people who are dedicated to being able to pray with you and to pray for you. They're in the back. Take this time during the worship songs, during, after worship, take the time to go in the back and pray with somebody. Sometimes we just need a little, a little kickstart. Anybody need a little kickstart for prayer? Like, I don't know what to pray or even how to pray. They'll get you started and they'll pray with you. If you need healing prayer, you don't have to wait till Wednesday. You can go back there now. But let's do this. Let's do communion together in thankful hearts for what Christ has done for us. Amen? Thank you, guys.